All right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter number 56. We're making our way through the book of Isaiah. We're almost done. We got 10 chapters left, 10 weeks, and then we'll be done with Isaiah, and then we're going to move on to Jeremiah. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. We're going to take a break from a big book like that, and uh, we're going to do something easier, something shorter. In uh, verse number one there of Isaiah uh, 56, I want you to notice the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, and I want you to make note of these words, Keep ye judgment. And make note of this word, do justice. He says, keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Verse 2, blessed is the man that, make note of this word, doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Here the Bible is teaching us, and this is a common theme that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, uh, just not on purpose, it's just been coming up uh, in different books and different studies that we've been doing, is this idea that you've got to do what the Bible says. You've got to apply it. We've seen it in James, we've seen it in Matthew, where God is telling us that if you are a hearer but not a doer, it's not going to help your life. I think we talked about it in the, the last sermon in the Nehemiah series. How do you respond to the Word of God? And here God is telling us, if you look at verse 2 again, He said, blessed is the man that doeth. See, if you want God's blessing, if you want God to bless you and to, to give you, you know, favor with God and with men, the key, I used to have a pastor who would say, the pathway to God's blessing is through the door of obedience. And this is not just found here in Isaiah. Uh, Keep your finger there in Isaiah. We're going to come back to it, obviously, as a text for tonight. But go into the book of Deuteronomy. We were in Deuteronomy 28 this morning, and I told you that we'd be in there tonight. I'm going to tell you we're going to be in it again next Sunday morning, so we're going to learn Deuteronomy 28 pretty well. We won't be here that long tonight, but I want you to notice that throughout the Bible, God makes it extremely clear over and over and over again that if you want His blessing, if you want His favor, if you want His power on your life, that blessing comes through you applying His Word, through you keeping what he says, to do justice. It says, blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it. Are you there in Deuteronomy 28? Now I want you to notice verse number 2, just real quickly. Deuteronomy 28, verse 2, the Bible says this, and all these blessings shall come on thee. Now Deuteronomy 28 is a really famous passage because God gives us, the, he gives the children of Israel, and he, he explains to them all sorts of blessings that he's going to give them. And tonight I'm going to just real quickly look at those blessings, but he also gives them a bunch of curses. In fact, the curses are way more than the blessings. We won't look at the curses tonight. We may look at them next week uh, when we're in it on Sunday morning in the finance series. But I want you to notice the different areas that God says he will bless his children in. The first area is that God will bless the actual physical location you are in. Look at verse number three, and we're just going to, I'm just going to show you snippets because we'll move quickly because this is a long chapter and we're not preaching out of this chapter tonight, but notice what he says. He talks about being blessed in the city and he says, you'll be blessed in the field. If you look at verse six, he says, when thou comest in, and he talks about when thou goest out. If you look at verse number eight, He says, He shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God 
give it thee. If you look at verse number 12, he says, The heavens to give rain unto thy land in his season. And, and the point that he's trying to make through these passages is that when God blesses you, he doesn't just bless you, he actually blesses the location you are in. One of the reasons I believe that the United States of America has been so blessed and has been such a prosperous nation is not because of the nation itself, but it's because of the, the children of God that have been back and inhabited this land. And I don't believe that the United States of America was ever really a Christian nation. I don't know that you can say that. I mean, even in the nation of Israel, not everybody believed. But if there has been a place on this earth where believers have prospered, it's been the United States of America. And I believe that for that reason, God blessed this physical location. And we are seeing that the blessing on this location is is starting to fade away as Christianity fades away from these shores. So here we see that God will bless a physical location, a physical land. He says, I'll bless you where you're at. But notice, he also talks about blessing your children. In verses 4 and in verses 11, you you find this phrase where he says he's going to bless the fruit of thy body. I think every parent would say, I want my children blessed. I want God to bless my children and to bless me as I try to raise those children. He talks about blessing your finances. Look at verse 4, Deuteronomy 28, 4. He talks about the fruit of thy ground. He talks about thy cattle. He says the increase of thy kind and the flocks in verse 4. Skip down to verse number 11. In verse number 11, he, there you find this praise. The Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods. The Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods. Now look, I'm not, I'm not a prosperity preacher, okay? I'm not a name it and claim it Pentecostal up here. But this is what the Bible says. God says he'll make you plenteous in goods. He says, in the fruit of thy cattle. He talks about uh, in the fruit of thy ground in verse number 11. Look at verse 12. He says, the Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure. In verse number 12, uh, you also find this statement, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. He's talking about the fact that he's going to bless them financially. They're going to have so much money, they can, they can help people out. They can lend to other nations. Look at verse 4. Uh, I'm sorry, not verse 4. In verse 5, he talks about blessing your savings. We talked about this this morning, thy basket and thy store. I forgot to show you this one this morning. In verse 8, he also references uh, savings when he says, upon thee uh, in thy storehouses. So he talks about blessing their storehouses or blessing their store. He talks about blessing them against their enemies. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, you find this phrase, the Lord shall cause thine enemies, and he basically says to be smitten. He's going to cause them to run away and to be uh, put to death. In, in verse number 8, he talks about blessing your work. He says, in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And in verse number 12, he says, to bless all the work of thine hand. So those are pretty good blessings. I mean, I think we would all say, I want God to bless my work. I want God to bless me in my job. I want God to bless my finances. I want God to bless my savings. I want God to bless my children. I want God to bless the physical location I'm in, whether it's the United States of America or whether it's just my home. I want God's blessing there. But notice I I wanted to just show you those quickly because I don't want to take the time to read that whole passage. But if you look at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28, he gives us again, what is the path? What is is the the, the pathway to God's blessing? And it's through the door of obedience. Because notice what he says in verse 1. And it shall come to pass, notice what he says, if, if, because it's very conditional. He says, if thou shalt 
Hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God. He says, to observe and notice, to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations on the earth. Look at verse 2. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if, he says, if thou shalt hearken, he said, if you listen, if, you, if you're paying attention unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Look at verse 9. Skip down to verse number 9. Notice what it says. The Lord shall establish thee and holy people unto himself as he hath sworn unto thee. Notice what he says. If thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. Skip down to verse number 13. Notice what he says. The Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. That's pretty good, right? I don't think, if there's a body part to describe you, I'd rather it be the head and not the tail. And he says, The Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, if that, uh, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day, to observe and to do them. Look at verse 14. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day, or to the right hand or to the left, to go after the gods to serve them. Here's what you got to understand, okay? It's not enough to learn the Bible. It's not enough to go to a church that preaches the Bible. It's not enough to have knowledge if you don't go home and do something with it. See, some of you are going to sit here for the next, you know, like the last three weeks and the next two weeks on a Sunday morning and you're going to get all sorts of great teaching on finances, but it won't help you and it won't affect your life because you won't do anything with it. See, we, we can teach you about finances. We can teach you about marriage. We can teach you about raising your children. We can teach you everything that the Bible says about life. But if you get it in here and you don't do anything with it, you never actually apply. You never actually try to do what God says. God says, I can't bless you. He says, in fact, the only way that I can bless you is if you do, is if you apply, is if you're not a hearer only, but you do the things that I've taught you. So the first thing we see in this passage here is that God blesses obedience. And here's the, here's the, the funniest thing. that I, It's not funny. It's sad, it, really. You know, I'm preaching this finance series. You know, everyone who tells me, who tells me like, oh, that's a great series. I'm learning. Like, everyone who's telling me, like, man, I'm learning so much through this finance series are all people that I, I basically know their finances are in pretty good standing. And then you think, you know, the people that are just like are broke or struggling, you think they'd be like just like, like writing everything down. You think they'd be thinking, no. But it, it's just you cannot win with Christianity if you don't do what God tells you to do. You've got to apply the Bible, and I'm not saying if you haven't commented on this series that you're not applying it. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this. The blessing comes when you do. The blessing comes when you apply. That's why he says there in verse number two, he says, Blessed is the man that doeth this, that applies what the Bible is teaching them. Look at verse number three. If you go back to Isaiah 56, verse number three, notice what he says. Neither... Let the son of the stranger. Now, in the Bible, the word stranger means foreigner. And this chapter only has 12 verses. We'll try to go through it quickly uh, because uh, that way we can get to the cake and ice cream. But notice what he says. The son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord. Okay, so he's talking about a foreigner, someone who's not of the nation of Israel, but they have basically converted uh, to, to worshiping the Lord. Because he says, the, Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Here's what he's saying. You can't tell. He says, The foreigner 
can't come and say, because I converted to God, God is the one who separated me from my people. Look at, look at verse number 5. Even unto them, talking about that foreigner, he says, even unto them will I give. Notice what he says, in mine house. Okay, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons, of the, uh, the, the sons and of daughters. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to give that foreigner that left his home. Think about Ruth, you know, the Moabitess. We read about her this morning. She left her home. She left her family. She left everything she knew. And she went back with Naomi to Bethlehem, Judah. And she worshiped the God of Israel. And, and God says, I'm going to give that foreigner in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons of the daughters. Now, the, prophetically, he's talking about the fact that the Jews would reject Christ, and because of it, eventually they were rejected, and the blessings of God and the promises of God and the covenant of God was given to another nation. He said, he said to a group of strangers, he said, better than of the sons of the daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Look at verse 6. Also, the sons of the stranger, again, talking about the foreigners, that joined themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath and polluted it, and taketh hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring, notice what he says, to my, God's, holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. See, even back in the time of Isaiah, it was always God's plan to bring the entire world the gospel, to bring everybody, all nations, all people, all foreigners. It wasn't just for the nation of Israel. It was for everyone. But I want you to understand, the, the application that Isaiah is making is this. He's saying the foreigner that leaves their home, that, you know, Ruth, that leaves Moab and comes to the nation of, of Israel and converts to the God of Israel, they should not complain about the fact that they left their family. He says, because I'm going to give you a better family. And the, uh, and the application for us today, go to the book of Mark in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark in the New Testament, Mark chapter number 11. But the application for us today is that when you got saved and maybe you started coming to church and you started getting right with God and you started having to separate from certain friends, hey, you have not complained about what you left behind. You shouldn't talk about the fact that I used to have all these friends. I used to have all these people I went around with. I used to party. I used to this. Hey, God says, I've given you a better home, a better family. I brought you into my house. And he says, don't complain about what you left behind. He says, what I've given you is better. Notice, notice in Mark chapter number 11. This uh, verse in verse number 7 where it says, mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people is quoted in the Gospels, I'll just show you one example, Mark chapter 11. Now, when you get to Mark, do me a favor. Keep your finger or your bulletin or something in Mark 11 because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Mark chapter 11, look at verse number 17. And he taught, saying unto them, this is Jesus quoting the book of Isaiah, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations, the house of prayer? See, God wants his house to be a house filled with all people, all nations, from every, from every area, from every, uh, you know, part of, of life. And one thing that I've always been thankful for 
is that our church, you know, really is a house of the house of prayer, you know, for all nations. You know, we've got people here from all over the world, you know, red and yellow, black and white. And I, I appreciate that. You know, I grew up an independent fundamental Baptist, but often most of the churches I went to, I was the darkest guy there. You know what I mean? Kind of just stood out. You know, it's like and our church has never been like that. I mean, people come here from from every part of town, from different towns, you know, from different areas, from different cultures, different backgrounds. I think that's great. I think it's great that we've got, you know, people from all over the world because that's how heaven's going to be. From every kindred, from every nation, from every tongue, there's going to be people from all over the world. And I love the fact that our church has always been, uh, to use, I don't know, liberal type of, type of word, to, it's been a very diverse group of people. I mean, I remember when we started this church five years ago, I mean, for the longest time, my wife was the only white person in our church. That was weird. <laughs> Then Brother Ron showed up, you know, and it was good. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it's just a great thing. It's a, it's a great thing to reach people from all over the world. Go, go back to Isaiah 56. Look at verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 10. Look at verse number 10. Now, in, in verses 10 through 12, or through 11, he, uh, he, be, he begins to give these characteristics of a false prophet. And this is where I want to spend most of the sermon tonight. And we'll be done, we'll be done fast. But look at verse number 10. Notice what he says. He says, his watchman, okay? Now, a watchman is someone who's supposed to be vigilant, who's supposed to be watching and protecting. He says, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. I want you to make note of that word They're dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. They are shepherds that cannot understand, they all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. So he gives us these characteristics of a false prophet, a false shepherd, a false preacher. And the first characteristic I want you to notice is he tells us that, he basically is telling us that they are reprobates. Because notice what he says. He says in verse 10 that the watchmen are blind. Now listen, if your job is to watch and you are blind, you're not a very good watchman. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, if your job as a dog is to bark and you're dumb, you can't get that job done. And, And he says, his watchmen are blind. He says, they are all ignorant, meaning they don't have the knowledge. They don't have it in them. Look at verse 11. He says, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. It's not that they will not understand, it's that they cannot understand. Go, keep your finger on Isaiah. Go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. If you got your finger in Mark, you can go back uh, to Matthew 1 book, but we're going to go to Mark, so just keep your finger there. And you've got to understand this. The Bible teaches that false prophets are not people who are just, you know, they're just confused. They're not people that just need to get saved. These are reprobates. Now, the Bible defines a reprobate as someone who God has rejected, as someone who has lost the opportunity to be saved. It's not that they will not understand, it's that they cannot understand. It's not that they are not watching, it's that they cannot watch. They're blind. It's not that they will not bark, it's that they're not able to because they are dumb. Look at verse uh, Matthew chapter 7, look at verse number 15. Notice what the Bible says. Mark, I'm sorry, did I say Mark? I meant Matthew. 
Matthew chapter 7, look at verse number 15. Notice what the Bible says. Beware of false prophets. Now notice what he says about these false prophets. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Okay, and I want you to remember that because later on the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts would reference uh, this verse that the Lord Jesus Christ spake. He said, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Okay, so you got to understand this. False prophets are going to show up looking like sheep. Looking like us, they're going to talk like us, they're going to walk like us, they're going to act like us, but inside they're ravening wolves. And here's the idea, a sheep, you know, a wolf is the enemy of a sheep, okay? A wolf does not want to befriend the sheep, okay? It's not that the wolf is misunderstood, it's that the wolf wants to eat the sheep. And when false prophets show up, it's not that they just don't get it or they're not, you know, they're a little misunderstood. People show up here all the time. They got all sorts of weird doctrines and we'll help them out and we'll straighten them out and we'll help them. But when they're a false prophet, it's not that they don't understand, it's that they will not understand because they want to be our enemies. They want to destroy. Look at verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Now this is a famous phrase that Christians, you know, so-called Christians often use to try to say it about other Christians. They'll, they'll say like, if so-and-so really got saved, we'll know them by their fruits. We'll know it. But notice the phrase in his context is not about believers. It's about false prophets. He's saying, Jesus said, how will you know a false prophet? And he says, you will know them. Ye shall know them by their fruits. And I notice what he says. Do men gather grapes of thorns? So if you go to a thorn bush, are you going to get grapes from that? He said, or figs of thistles? He said, if you go to a thistle uh, tree there, are you going to get figs from it? Look at verse 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Now, you got to understand this, okay? An apple tree can only bring forth apples. An orange tree can only bring forth orange. A good tree can only bring forth good fruit. But, notice what he says, verse 17. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. See, if someone is bringing forth evil fruit, it's because the source is bad. It's because the tree is bad. A good tree, verse 18, cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Here's what Jesus was teaching. A false prophet, is a prophet, a preacher, a pastor, is either a good tree or they're a bad tree. They're an evil tree. You say, well, how do you know the difference? You look at what they produce. You look at their fruit. If the fruit is good, then the tree is good. And if the fruit is bad, then the tree is bad. Go to 2 Peter chapter number 2. 2 Peter chapter number 2. Now, if you go from the book of Revelation backwards, you'll go past the book of Jude, past 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, past 2nd Peter into 1st Peter, uh, and, and, and keep a finger in 2nd Peter because we're going to be going back and forth. 2nd Peter chapter 2, it gives us a lot of information in regards to a false prophet, and it's a parallel passage with the book of Jude, but we'll just look at 2nd Peter uh, tonight for the sake of the ice cream. But look at... Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, okay? And look at verse number 1. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says this. But there were false prophets among the people. Talking about the children of Israel. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. You got to understand this, okay? If, you're, if you have church, you're going to have bad teachers, false teachers among us. Notice, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. They're going to bring in heresies that will send people to hell if they believe that and don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what it says about these prophets. They're not only preaching damnable heresies, but it says even denying the Lord. So they're preaching doctrines that teach people to deny the Lord. 
okay? They're teaching doctrines that tell people, you don't have to have your faith completely in Jesus Christ. You don't have to trust only in Jesus Christ. As long as you repent of your sins, that's good enough. And you're denying the Lord. But notice, that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So the Bible says that these false prophets themselves will be destroyed because they themselves are not uh, saved. Look at verse number 4, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. For, and notice, and we're going to skip around a little bit. I'm going to show you a lot of different verses, but I just want you to notice what, what he's saying. He's saying they're not saved. They deny the Lord. He says they're going to bring swift destruction among themselves. Verse 4, he says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Here's what he's saying. So understand the context. He's saying if God did not spare the angels, he will not spare these prophets. Now, did God spare the angels that, that sinned against God? The answer is no. So he says, if God didn't spare the angels, he will not spare these prophets. Because he's trying to explain to us these prophets are damned like the angels that sinned against God. Look at verse 5. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, did God spare the old world? No. He, we know he destroyed the world through a Noahic flood. Here's what he's saying. If God didn't spare the old world, he's not going to spare these prophets. If God did not spare, you know, the angels, he's not going to spare these false prophets. Look at verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Now, did God spare Sodom and Gomorrah? No, he did not. Okay, so if he did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah, if he did not spare the old world, if he did not spare the angels that sinned against God, he's telling us he will not spare these false prophets because these false prophets have gone too far. They've crossed a line where they cannot. You've got to understand, and I don't have time to develop it. You can read Romans chapter 1, but the Bible says if you reject God and you reject God and you reject God, eventually God will reject you. And there are unbelievers. We're not talking about saved people. A saved person cannot lose their salvation, but an unbeliever can cross a line where they no longer have the opportunity to be saved. And he's saying these false prophets have crossed that line. Look at verse 12. But these, notice he's talking about the false prophets. That's what the whole chapter is about. But these, as natural brute beast. He said, these, these people, he says, these reprobates, he said, they're just brute beasts. The word brute means stupid. He said, they're, they're stupid animals. He said, I can't believe you say that about a person. I didn't say it. God did. He said, they are as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. He said, these people have no hope. They're like an animal. They might as well just be put to death because there's nothing that can be done to help them. you got to understand, a false prophet, your little televangelist on TV that's preaching false doctrine, that's leading people to hell, it's not that he's confused. It's not that he doesn't understand. It's not that he hasn't heard the truth. It's that he's a reprobate that cannot be saved. And God says, I will not forgive them. I will not spare them like I didn't spare Sodom, like I didn't spare the old world, like I didn't spare Satan and the angels that followed him. Now look at verse 21, okay? Because in verse, you know, when you are soul winning, people who, go, who speak against uh, eternal security, it seems like there's this new fad where they all want to take me to 2 Peter 21 and 22. And notice what it says. It says, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. 
And verse 22 is the one they always want to take us to to try to disprove eternal security. They say, oh, you can lose your salvation because in verse 22 it says, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed in her, in her wallowing in the mire. And they'll say, see, you know, just like the dog turns to his vomit and just like the sow turns, you can lose your salvation. But here's the funny thing. The entire chapter is about false prophets that aren't saved, that are reprobates. So how, how can you take a verse out of context and say, see, this proves that you can lose your salvation because the dog goes back to his vomit. Guess what, though? When the dog goes back to his vomit, he's still a dog. Okay? When the soul goes back, he can get all cleaned up. But he's always been a pig. He's always been a dog. He's always been a reprobate. He's always been a false prophet. That's what it's talking about. And it's interesting because I was, I was going so way in Brother Stuckey. And he was telling me about a sermon he heard uh, about J- Brother Jason Robinson uh, that preached a sermon about reprobates. And he was talking about how the Bible equates them to, to dogs. And it's interesting because the book of Isaiah, we learn about these false prophets and God equated them to dogs that cannot bark. You know? So tell Brother Robinson that I gave him some more uh, <laughs> uh, material there for his sermon. But um, you know, these people are not saved, okay? And they cannot be saved. They are rejected. Go back. Keep your finger there in 2 Peter, but go, go back to Isaiah 56, okay? We got to do this quickly. Isaiah 56, look at verse number 10. Okay, so let me give you some characteristics about a false prophet. Number one, they are reprobates. They cannot be saved. They will not be saved. God will not spare them. They are watchmen who are blind. They are ignorant. They, they will not uh, have knowledge. They, they won't understand, okay? But let me give you another uh, characteristic of a false prophet. Number two is that they refuse to preach the truth. Because notice what it says in verse 10. They are all dumb dogs. Now, the word dumb means that they're not able to speak. He says they are dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Now, what is the point of a dog that doesn't bark? I mean, the only use of a dog, you know, I don't, you know I talk scripturally here. The only use of a dog is to bark to warn you for protection. And, and by the way, that's what God says a preacher is. I, my job, some of you will say, well, why do you guys get so excited? You start yelling, you start raising your voice and all these things. Because our job is to raise our voice and to tell you and to warn you like a dog would. You know, if, if the enemy's coming in the backyard, a dog starts barking. You know, if a thief's coming in to rob you, the dog is barking and warning and saying, hey, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. And my job as a preacher is to get up and say, there's a problem with your finances, there's a problem with your marriage, there's a problem with your life. God has the answers. My job is to bark at you and try to get your attention. I mean, that's what the Bible says. You're supposed to. But a false prophet is a dog that cannot bark. And they will not bark. And they will not preach. And they will not warn. And they cannot bark. Uh, go, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, just real quickly. If you're there in, uh, where are you? First Peter? Keep going backwards. You'll go past James, Hebrews, Philemon, and then you'll get into those T books. Titus, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy. Go to fir- uh, don't go to 1 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. That's, that's the goal. That's the point. I, I'm shocked how many people come to our church and say, I can't find a church that preaches the Bible. I mean, isn't that crazy? You cannot find a church that preaches the Bible. Well, that's why Paul said, preach the word, be instant. Now, notice what he says, be instant in season, out of season. He said, whether it's popular or not. 
whether it's in culture or not, whether people like it or not, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all suffering. Now, notice verse 3. I know you're familiar with these verses, but let's look at them. For the time will come, and I'm here to tell you that the time is here. We live in this time. For the time will come when they will not, when they will not endure sound doctrine. See, the word doctrine means teaching. And he says there's going to come a time when people don't want to be taught the Bible. They don't want to hear the Bible. It says they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fable. See, here's what people want. They want to go to church and have a preacher get up and tell them, you know, you're going to have your best life now. God's going to bless you. God's going to help you. God's happy with you. God, you know, God doesn't need any, want you to do anything. He doesn't need you to keep the commandments in order to be blessed. He's just going to bless you because you're great. And they want to be lied to. They don't want to be warned. And that's what a false prophet will do. He will not bark. He will not warn. He will not stand up and tell the truth and preach the word, whether it's, patible, whether it's you know, compatible to our society or not. Uh, go back to Isaiah 56. Look at verse 10 real quickly. Let me give you another characteristic. So we saw from the passage that, number one, these false prophets are reprobates. Number two, these false prophets refuse to preach the truth. And by the way, when you come to Verity Baptist Church, from time to time, I'm going to say something you don't like. And, and people get all upset, like, I can't, you know, like the first time I say something they don't like, you know, like 10 minutes into the sermon. It's like, I'm never coming back. Listen, I say things I don't like, okay? When you preach the Bible, guess what happens? You say things that people don't like because people don't like the truth, all right? So, you know, don't, you know, you got to be thankful when, when Pastor Matt starts stepping all over your toes. You got to be thankful that you go to a church that is not just trying to get your money, because that's another point coming up. But look at verse 3, okay? Look at verse 3. I'm sorry, did I say verse 3? Point 3. Look at verse 10. Isaiah 56, verse 10. Notice what it says, okay? He says, His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, they will not preach, they will not warn. Notice what it says, though. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Now, we've all heard of a lying dog, right? I mean, these dogs, are, we, got, we got this dog at home, and all he does is sleep. It's like, good night, you know, go do something. And, uh, you know, these dogs, I mean, it's crazy. They'll, they'll get up, they'll eat. You know, it's like they've been sleeping all night. They'll get up, they'll sleep, kind of run around, use the restroom. Then he lays down. I'm like, what are you so tired about, you know? And then he just, just lies down all day, comes inside, you know, when we bring him in, he lies down. But this is what dogs do. They lie. You know, they're lazy. They love to slumber. It's just a characteristic of dogs. But God uses this to talk about these false prophets. Because let me explain something to you. False prophets are lazy. False prophets lie down. They love to slumber. They don't, they, they don't work. You say, what are you talking about? Go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Okay? We've got to do this fast. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And look at verse number 29. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. The Bible says this, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. Does that sound familiar? Not sparing the flock. Look at verse 30. Also after your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, notice, to draw away disciples after them. So you know what a false prophet doesn't do? A false prophet doesn't move to a city, you know, get some invitations printed, 
go down, doesn't, he doesn't go down the street, start knocking on doors, inviting people to church, preaching the gospel, telling people, hey, we're going to have, you know, we're starting a brand new church. It's going to be right down the street next Sunday. Hope to see you there. A false prophet doesn't, you know, spend one year or two years or three years or four years or five years trying to gather a group of people, trying to reach a group of people, trying to love a group of people, trying to minister to a group of people. A false prophet doesn't go out and work for a congregation. A false prophet doesn't go out and try to reach disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what a false prophet does. He goes into a church that's already established and he just tries to take away their disciples because they're lazy, because they don't work hard, because starting a church is too much work. Because being faithful for years and years and years and years and years is too much trouble. So they'll just go somewhere where there's already a core group of people that are devoted and are are ready and are willing to work. And they'll just try to steal their disciples. I mean, look at what the Apostle Paul said, verse 30, Acts 20, 30. Also of your own selves, he said, from your own group shall man arise speaking perverse things Why? To draw away disciples after them. Why do they take disciples out of church? Because it's a lot of work to go get your own disciples. It is. It's a lot of work to get someone saved and get them coming to church and get them baptized and get them growing and get them to come out soul winning. You know how hard it is to get someone to show up on a Sunday night? You know how hard it is to get a group to show up on a Wednesday night? Know how hard it is to get people to come out for this time. I'm not talking about a rock concert. I'm talking about, you know, a, a, a church where the Bible's being preached, where you got old hymns, where you got soul winning, where you got standards. It's a lot of work. So here's what false prophets do. They're lazy. They like to sleep. They don't go work for their own converts. They just go to a church and try to steal their converts. It's what they do. And you, you got to understand this. People are constantly trying to steal converts, even from our church. Okay. So, so you got to be in, in the lookout because not everyone who looks like a sheep is a sheep. Sometimes they're a grievous wolf. I, I have learned over the last five years of ministry, you know, you, you start having these, fly, you know, these red flags. Go, go back to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, if you kept your place there. You start having these red flags, you know. You start kind of learning how people act. Let, let me just explain something to you. When someone shows up to church and it's like their first time here, and they're already just like gathering everyone's like phone. They, they want everyone's phone numbers, email addresses. They want to get, look, if they're getting everybody's information, they're up to no good. I mean, seriously, they're up to no good. Every single person that I've ever known that's just like shows up like day one. They don't know anybody here. And they're just trying to get everybody's information. It always turns out they're doing, they're up to something bad. I mean, they may not be trying to split the church, but they're going to sell you Avon or they got an agenda. I mean, seriously, they've got something they're trying to do. You know, and let me say something. It's wrong for you. To show up somewhere, let me give you an example. You know, Brother Stucky and I are working on uh, having some sort of a outreach ministry that's different than our soul winning, just to do something different, you know. And, and just, you know, trying to figure out maybe we could go somewhere to some sort of event where we could hand out, you know, like a bunch of after the tribulations and try to like talk to people. He's been already kind of going, taking some soul winners to like different parks and maybe seeing, you know, what can work and different things like that. But here's the thing, you know, we could just go show up at Walmart, like st- stand in front of Walmart. And just like hand out invitations. Now we won't because I think it's wrong. I don't think it's wrong to do that if you get permission from Walmart to do it. But I think it's wrong for Christians to just go to Walmart and just, you know, stand there and hand out their literature to, to people when they did not get permission. It's unethical. You say, why is that? Here's why it is. Because Walmart paid a lot of money to build a building. They paid a lot of money 
to send out ads, to put out you know, commercials. They paid a lot of money to make a name brand, to let people know that they're there. They paid a lot of money, and they had a lot of investment in going out and getting people to come to that location, not to get an invitation for Verity Baptist Church, but to go and get a really cheap deal on all the cheap stuff they sell at Walmart. You know, That's why they're there. And it's unethical for me to take their money and their effort and the work that they've done and then to try to capitalize on it and say, well, I'm not going to do any work. I'm not going to try to get our name out there. We're not going to go try to reach people. We're going to let them do all the work. We're just going to be lazy dogs and try to bite off of their work. You understand what I'm saying? See, it's wrong. You know, these places, look, if you sell Avon, I'm not against you selling Avon or Mary Kay or whatever. That's great. But these places teach people, like, just go to your church and try to sell to all your church people. That's unethical. I mean, do you realize that 30 people, 30 soul winners from our church went out into the community this week and they knocked on doors and they talked to people and they invited people and they preached the gospel and they did a lot of work to get a visitor to come here and then you want to show up and push your agenda when you did nothing? I mean, do you see how that's wrong? See how that's unethical? But here's what false prophets do. They show up and they start pushing all their, you know, all their literature and all the stuff. They want to give out all the things when they've done. And here's what I tell people. Go start your own church. Go knock on doors for five years. Go preach to six people for six years, which is what we did at Verity Baptist Church. And then in five years, when 100 people show up on a Sunday morning, push your agenda to them. But they're lazy. And that's what a false prophet is. He's lazy. It's too hard to go do the work yourself. So I'm just going to let somebody else do it. Then I'm going to... come in and try to pull their disciples out. I'm going to come in and I'm going to get their email and I'm going to send them a little video and I'm going to tell them this and I'm going to tell them that. Are you there in 2 Peter? Let me show you what the Bible says. Let me show it to you. You don't want to hear it, but look at what it says. 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse number 13. Notice what it says. I want you to notice this. Look at verse 13. And shall receive, because i got to teach you these things, you know, because you're, you're here on Sunday night, you're kind of the core of the church, you know, so you got to understand these things. Look at verse 13. And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings. Notice what it says. Don't miss this. While they feast with you. You see that? While they feast with you. Look at verse 10. Go back to verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. You know what the word dignity means? It's an old word. It means a person of high rank or title referring to a leader. In a church, it might be referring to a pastor. Here's what they do. They'll say, hey, let's go have lunch after church. Let's, let's uh, verse 13, feast together. And then they'll say, what do you think of that sermon pastor preached? Oh, you know, I don't know. That pastor really knows. That. You know, and they'll start, they'll start bad-mouthing the pastor. And here's what they'll do. They want to get a, rege- uh, a reaction from you. Because if you're just like, hey, listen, you know what, pastor is not perfect, but, you know, he, he's trying to do his best. They're, they know not to mess with you. But if you're like, yeah, I don't think pastor, and they speak evil of dignities, they're just, they're, 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 they're trying to, like, kind of test the, the waters. They're saying, okay, who, who can I pull out? Who can I kind of influence? Who can I start trying to pull out of here? Because it's way too much work for me to go find my own convert. It's way too much work for me to go get, you know, someone to follow me. So I'm going to try to get someone who's already been sold out, who's already been discipled, who's already been, you know, kind of made uh, to, to understand the way that these things work. And I'm just going to pull them out. And you don't think church splits happen like that? You don't think, you know, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I've heard so, of so many churches where the pastor shows up on a Sunday morning and half the people, you know, are like fighting against him and stuff. And by the way, if that happens, I'm just telling you right now, if that happens at this church, Okay, I'm pretty sure that my name is on the lease and on the bank account, so I'm not leaving. 
Uh, so you guys are going to have to go find your own place, okay? Um, I'm pretty sure I'm the one with the key. So look at verse number 11, Isaiah 56, verse 11. So why did he do all this? Here's the, here's the reason why. Look at verse 11. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain. See, they are greedy. They're in it for the money. You know why they won't, they won't stand up and bark, bark, bark? They won't stand up and preach hard. They won't stand up and preach the truth. You know why? They don't want to offend you because they want your money. They want you to feel good because all they want is, you know, to be satisfied. They can never have enough. Can you get back to 2 Peter chapter 2? We'll do it quickly. Look at verse number 3. 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. Verse 3. And through, notice this word. We've been talking a lot about it in the finance series. And through covetousness shall they with feign words. The word feign means fake. It's like they're lying. They're not being sincere. Through covetousness shall they with feign words, notice these words, make merchandise of you. See, all they want is your money. Let, let me just break it to you, okay? All Joel Osteen wants is your money. That's why he doesn't preach the Bible. That's why he says, he said himself, I don't use the word sin when I preach. I don't use the word hell when I preach. I don't use the word damn when I preach or damnation. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus used all those words when he preached. But here's why he doesn't. Here's why he never says anything controversial. Here's why he never says anything. You know, he just always sides with culture. He always sides with what people want to hear. Here's why. Because he wants your money. Because he's a lazy, greedy dog that cannot understand. Notice verse 13, 2 Peter 2, 13. And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the day. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you. Look at verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. In heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Do you see that? Their, their heart, their eyes are full of adultery. They're, they exercise with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam. If you remember Balaam from the Old Testament, he would preach anything to get a dollar. I mean, he's just, he's just following, you know, God had to physically stop him, you know, because he just wants money. And when he couldn't do it, then he just figured out, you know, a way to get the people. He advertised the children of Israel to the, to the world and got them to fornicate and brought a huge punishment of God on that fornication. And why did he do it? For money. And he says that they are they following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved, notice, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. They just want your money. They're greedy dogs, which can never have enough. They're, they're all after their own gain. Now, here's what's interesting. In this passage, in Isaiah, there's a quote about the house of, uh, the house of God being a house of prayer to all people. And, that, and that's quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. But here's what's interesting. Go back to Mark chapter number 11. Because Jesus knew the Bible. Jesus knew the Bible better than anyone else. He is the Word, right? And it's really interesting because Jesus knew that Isaiah chapter number 56 was primarily about greedy dogs, lazy dogs who cannot have enough, who are covetous, who want money. And when Jesus was dealing 
with covetous people making his house a house of merchandise, he quotes from Isaiah 56. Let me show it to you what we've done. Mark chapter 11. Look at verse number 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. And by the way, God is against people using his house to make money. It's not just you with your Avon and you with your vacuums. It's all of it. We shouldn't, this house, the house of God should not be meant to make someone rich. At Verity Baptist Church, the only time that money exchanges hands around here is when the offering is being taken because the offering is scriptural because God has commanded us to pay our tithes and pay our offerings and we pay the bills with that. But guess what? We're not going to sell you a CD. We're not going to sell you a DVD. We're not going to sell you, you know, you got to put a quarter in the cup if you want to get, you know, a piece of cake or whatever. All the activities are free. We don't charge for anything. Why? Because we're not going to make the house of God a house of merchandise. And that's what these false preachers do. They go in there and have you, you know, listen to their lie and their fable. Then they want to charge you 20 bucks for the DVD so you can listen to it again. And Jesus was dealing with these people. He was so mad in in the temple they were selling. Notice, he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold does. Verse 16, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, is it not written? And he quotes from Isaiah 56, my house shall be called called of all nations a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. It's interesting that he would quote from a chapter that talks about a bunch of lazy dogs that are just trying to make a dime out of the house of God. And that's what these false prophets do. They're greedy dogs. They're lazy dogs. They're dumb dogs. They're reprobates. They will not bark. They will not uh, preach 